0: Well, good morning everyone, do keep your Bibles open there at James uh, chapter 3 and 4. 2023 has really only just begun, hasn't it? Uh, I wonder if the new year has brought for you a making of plans as our Together Time guest. Sorry, I pointed in Brendan's direction, but I don't know why I did that. That's right. Uh, As you make plans, perhaps plans for work. Plans for retirement, plans for holidays, having just had perhaps holidays. I've been working on my plans for work. Uh, We've started a plan to have some long service leave down the track, Uh, but I can say to you that I have no plans for retirement. Uh, Maybe some of your plans are well progressed. Uh, They've been coming down the pipeline for years, uh, saving up for something important, or paying off a mortgage. Uh, getting qualified for that position you'd like to take or trying something different. And then I expect there are plans you've made that didn't go as you expected, uh, that didn't work out as you had planned. And what did you do? And how do you think about them now? We all make plans, don't we? And with them, we exercise plenty of choices in our lives and often they come to fruition. But the danger, the danger we face is to think that as we can plan, that we can control our lives. That as we make plans and see them play out, that we are our own masters, capable of charting our own destiny. And as James writes, he's only all too aware of this and of the tension, the tension where we do have responsibilities and decisions and we can make plans, but the tension that to our grave danger we may become proud rather than humble before God, be foolish rather than wise before God. Now, in case you're wondering, as we've got uh, to this point in January, uh, we're not gonna try and cover the whole of James in January. So we've jumped from chapters one to chapter four, and today we're really gonna focus on uh, that passage that was in our second reading, though you you could hear, no doubt, uh, the way they uh, uh, belong together and roll into each other. But did you notice in those readings that there are two kinds of wisdom Uh, Two ways to live at the end of chapter 3, there's the earthly, unspiritual, demonic wisdom, 3 verse 15. But the wisdom James wants us to have, that God wants us to have and offers to all who trust Jesus, is God's wisdom, wisdom from above. I wonder if when you uh, were getting ready for church this morning, maybe running late or thinking, you know, I've got to just get out of the door. I am going to church this morning to become more wise. And what does this wisdom look like? How will you recognise it when you see it? Uh, You may drive along the road, uh, maybe even as you were coming this morning, and you recognise the different cars that are on the road with you. For some of us, we'll notice a Toyota, a Tesla, a Hyundai. For others of us, a white one, a blue one, a silver one. Uh, How do you recognise wisdom from above? It looks like humble dependence. Reading from 3 verse 14, who is wise and understanding among you? let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. Before we zoom in uh, from 4 verse 13, let me remind you of where wisdom begins, how wisdom uh, is underwritten, uh, everything in James is underwritten by the Lord Jesus he is the key. One of the great things we do is to work through the books of the Bible verse by verse, chapter by chapter. Uh, The great thing about that is that we don't skip the bits that we might find hard. Uh, It also means that the themes that the Bible majors on become the things that we as a church and individuals major on and of course that's appropriate. The danger is because we split it up as we go, is that as we look at an individual passage, we forget how the whole holds together. The risk is that we'll lose sight of the worldview and the gospel that alone makes sense of what's being said here. And this is one of those occasions, or could be, where we have to remember James writes, what did he say in his introduction? as a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ Uh, and the Lord Jesus Christ and his gospel makes sense of how James expects us to live. In fact the return of the Lord Jesus as Lord and Judge makes sense of how we live as James writes and so wisdom or foolishness uh, the one that ultimately describes each of us is decided in our response to him, is seen by our humble dependence upon him. Now how that plays out in our lives, well James gives us two shining examples here today, not just of what to do but how we should see ourselves before God and before one another. The first one is in chapter 4 from verse 13 to 17. Humble dependence realises God is in control and we are not. Reading from verse 13, Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this city or that, spend a year there, carry on business and make money, why you do not know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Now I've said that. (laughs) I expect you've said that as well. He's talking to me, he's talking to us. I've made made plans about the work I'll do or where my family will live. But what's the point? Who am I to think that my plans will affect the future? I don't know what will happen tomorrow. I might have a fair idea, there might be patterns that I can be pretty sure will be repeated again, but can I actually make anything happen? Haven't I, like you, been surprised or shocked by what actually does happen? And that's because I can make plans I'm powerless to control the events of tomorrow. This warning, in fact, is all about control. In fact, who is in control? God is in control and we are not. Down here, living uh, uh, in in the Plains and Leonay Leonay and Emu Heights, uh, we've experienced these winter mists uh, that roll in while we're asleep. Uh, we don't see it come but when you look out the window it's a pea soup outside not this time of the year the other part of the year Uh, and, and we go about getting ready for the day and depending on what time you leave the house it might still be there but invariably it's gone again gone as quickly as it came and God says we are the same We don't control anything. We're not able to rule over the events of tomorrow any more than we can be sure we'll be around tomorrow. But James doesn't say this so that you would just throw your hands up in despair. Uh, He says it, so you and I would be wise. So we'll recognise reality and live in step with that reality, not try and walk in a different direction from it. It's not that we aren't in control and so no one is in control, but rather, well, this is the antidote to misplaced pride in ourselves. It's to humbly acknowledge that the Lord God is in control. Reading from verse 15, instead you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will we will live and do this or that, as it is. You boast in your arrogant schemes, all such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them." Now James isn't merely talking about the words we choose, uh, that we simply tack on if the Lord wills to before anything we say, Uh, an outcome that would be a little tedious uh, for the rest of us. Uh, But what he calls for is a change in attitude. Uh, The shift from thinking that we're in control of our lives to recognising he is. And as I read this passage from James and as David shared with us, James was the half-brother of Jesus, I'm actually reminded of the Lord Jesus in the garden the night before he was crucified, who though he was God and could have chosen otherwise as one of us as a person he chose to give up what was easiest for him to entrust his death into the hands of his father in heaven yet not what I will he says but what you will. Jesus shows us the way as he makes the way as he lives out the very humility that God now enables us to walk in. Unless we have that same change of attitude take place in us from thinking we're in control of our lives to recognising the Lord God is in control of our lives our plans James says are boasting and bragging They are evil and sinful because they leave the Lord God out of the picture. It's strong language, isn't it? But God is in control and we are not. So I imagine the question you're thinking to yourself now in terms of the strength of what we've just been uh, uh, hearing is, well, does that mean I shouldn't make plans at all? Or that I can't look to the future and the answer is no not at all uh, what we're doing is coming to terms with his place and ours so we make plans and with everything we think and do we do it with a recognition the recognition that the Lord God is the final ruler over my life and that my future is determined it isn't determined by the strength of my will uh, or by the superstitions of fate or luck. It's worth remembering too that people who can make plans with any hope they'll come about are people with choice, people like ourselves, people who are wealthy enough that we don't live hand to mouth. The poor don't have that luxury. And I can't help but think as well of the times when people had plans that didn't play out the way they expected. When they were asked to humbly receive what God chose for them instead. Uh, Not not that they had bad plans either. Uh, I remember back to my grandmother and grandfather, he'd only recently retired and they could spend their retirement together and within a year he had a stroke and died. I think of the young man I knew who had hopes and plans for his life and marriage and children, who died at the age of 30 and left his wife and a one-year-old. And we don't even have to mention, do we, the plans that people come up with, that even we can come up with that are, are not so noble, that are just plain selfish. What plans do you have that need to pass under this looking glass. Uh, Plans for your work or your retirement, plans for your children or your grandchildren, plans for where you'll live or where you'll travel. The Lord God says, you can make those plans, but trust those plans to me. I am the one in control of your future. Anything other is evil and sinful. To wrap up this warning, let me come back to that question. Uh, I sort of just you know sort of mentioned it and brushed over it. Is should we say if it is the Lord's will uh, when we speak of our plans? I, I did say it could become a bit tedious. But as I reflect, I think to myself, well, what I mean by that is it, it, it would be tedious if we just parroted it without conviction. In fact, I know some of you, I know a number of people who were raised to say indeed these exact words, uh, say if it is the Lord's will and do it with conviction. And so when it is met, matched with that attitude as James calls for here, it, it is demonstrating true wisdom and so for that reason, well I think we should say if it is the Lord's will or say something similar like under God. We, we may not say it every time we speak of our plans but, but as we speak those words don't we also teach and train ourselves to depend, to depend upon him for our plans and in this way, He continues to teach us that he is in control and we are not. That's the first warning. Uh, Allow it to shape you and you will be wise. The second is not dissimilar uh, and it is God is in control and riches are not. Chapter 5 verse 1. Now listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. He doesn't mince his words, does he? Uh, The rich who have trusted in their wealth will be judged and condemned by God. It's a no-holds-barred judgment, evoking memories of the, the great judgments of the past by God that included weeping and wailing. But who is he talking to here? Is he talking to people who were there, present, when this letter was read, people who claimed to be Christians or to, or to people who didn't receive the letter but were known to, in fact, maybe were the ones exploiting the very people who did receive it. Back in chapter 2, when he was outing favouritism toward Israel on, on how uh, wealthy uh, they are, James said it was the rich who were exploiting his hearers. It sounds like he's talking about others out there. On the other hand, it's very unusual for the New Testament writers to give a command or a judgment to people who weren't hearing their letters, which would lean us toward hearers and Christians being in view. So I take it when James commands his hearers to listen, He's warning us of the danger of riches, of getting them, of having them, of envying them. Because they come before us and their attraction is as a tool so we can gain control. A tool we take up in our hands, a counterfeit in the place of the one who is in control. Now, I've mentioned this before, but it's important we hear it again. We are the richest people in the world, the richest people in all of history. Uh, What we experience every day, even unnoticed, would blow the minds of most people who live on the planet now, let alone those who've gone before us. And I know any one of us in the room could find someone else or point to someone with more. Uh, even orders of magnitude more than we have, but that would be missing the point. We have the lifestyle and choices and security that only the richest of the rich can afford. And so James says to us, you can't control tomorrow through those riches. That's what riches promise, don't they? Uh, control. Uh, control to the people who wield them like a, uh, an instrument, like a tool, like a, a weapon. But how does James describe them, even as we look <clears throat> at our real estate or our shares or our bank accounts? 5 verse 2 Your wealth has rotted. And moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. James looks now at the present. Through the eyes of what is ahead of us in the future. And what he sees, what God sees is that wealth is counterfeit. It is worthless, it is useless despite the appearances, it is the instrument of the proud and the arrogant and the godless, it is used in a feeble attempt to control our destiny. But on top of that even, it may have been obtained dishonestly at the expense of others rather than for their benefit. In verse four, look, the wages you have failed to pay the workmen who, move, uh, who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. And in verse six, you have condemned and murdered innocent men who were not opposing you. Uh, wealth, well, in fact, let's be clear, not the wealth itself, but those of us who try and wield it, it deceives us. It deceives us into thinking that we are more important than other people. And so willing to take advantage of them. And so it begs the question, doesn't it? How have we acted uh, to gain wealth, the wealth we have? Have we paid our due for what we've received? Have we? worked the way in which our employer expected us to work for our pay? Have we done it without making adjustments or excuses for things that they know nothing about? Have we simply got the invoices for the things that we've bought rather than the old cash under the table for my benefit and the one who receives it? Where the government misses out on it to provide things that serve us. Do we ever ask ourselves why some products we buy are so cheap? Uh, Could it be because the workers on the other side of the world are paid a pittance so we can have cheap coffee, cheap cars, cheap phones? Could it be that we are hoarding up money for ourselves or our children where On the surface, investing in your children seems very noble, very loving. But because it's about attitude, it can be the same problem that James is talking about here. Control and just another form of selfishness. Now, like in the first warning, do you see that there's a tension here? Uh, It's because we have responsibilities and God has his responsibilities, but we need to remember who we are and remember who he is. And so James is not saying that we shouldn't save or even that you can't be wealthy, but it is a grave warning to us. It's the third time James has had to talk about riches. In fact, I'm astounded by how many times the Bible uh, leads such that I have to preach on money uh, as we work our way through it. But again, that's where I need to pull myself up. Because surely it means the love of money uh, leading to destruction is so dangerous and so widespread that we're actually loving each other. To name it like we are today for what it is. And by God's spirit at work in us and with each other together as God's family we can be convicted when we sin in this area or be vindicated when we're godly because God is in control and riches are not. Two warnings today, we finished with a reminder a reminder that the wise person waits on the Lord straying a little into next week's passage you know you're not meant to do that when you're a preacher because the next person you know that throws them out but I am the preacher next week so I'm willing to risk it Uh, so reading from verse 7 of chapter 5 be patient then brothers and sisters until the Lord's coming See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for autumn and spring rains. You too, be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Remember where wisdom begins and make sense of the two warnings we've heard today. Jesus is Lord, raised to his Lordship, through his death and resurrection and he is coming again to judge. As his people then, how do we respond to suffering that we might face now, injustice at the hands of others, disappointments, loss and grief, our plans not coming about as we would hope they would. What is the response we should have? It is patience. Not inactivity, mind you, but patience. Patience like the farmer who plays the long game, who knows the seasons will come around. Note he's not inactive, he's still playing his role, but he has to wait for what seems like a long time to him. But what he hopes for will come. Patience is called for. Patience with others. Patience in ourselves. But primarily, patience to wait. To wait on God. To trust his good timing to wrap up this world and humble the proud and lift up the humble and gather us to himself. The only way only way we can be confident of our future is to place our confidence in the Lord God. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, we thank you again for your extraordinary word, Uh, a word that meets us uh, in our experiences, in our lives, in our life uh, with a level of understanding and insight that could only mean that it comes from you. We pray, Heavenly Father, that you might grant in us that growing humility and dependence upon you that would see us be wise in our attitudes and in all that we do, that our plans might be laid before you at your feet that our lives that we might see one another uh, with eyes of humility and place ourselves at each other's service and above all Heavenly Father we pray that you would give us that patience that waits to see your glory in all its fullness when Jesus comes again we pray in his name Amen.